Hello and welcome to the Indian Food Podcast, where we go around local restaurants trying out different Indian food and talking to each other about our experience. I'm Aaron. I'm Jake, and I actually don't like Indian food at all. I'm, I'm Cody, and I and love I'm Indian curious. food. Do they sell boba at Indian restaurants? Is no. that, or am I thinking of Thai? I don't think that's either. Isn't boba, <laughs> is boba Korean? Japanese, Japanese. I'm pretty sure. Japanese. <laughs> You can get oh, like delicious yeah. lassi. I like to be the everyman on the Indian food podcast. I represent the average guy that has never been to an Indian food restaurant. So it turns out that Logan is not only racist against uh, British people, but apparently, I don't know, if you're from a certain area of the world, you must consume boba. I don't want to get too political in the first 30 seconds of this episode, but if it's racist to just not enjoy a particular type of food... I'm quitting planet Earth. No, I yeah. think it's it's the assumption that, you know, people from a specific country would even care to know what boba is. That's that's where you're racist. I think I care what boba is. I think boba is okay. <laughs> that's that's kind of the take, end. Jake. <laughs> yeah, that's it's okay. No, oh, boba's not right. great. I like I boba saying. conceptually. But the texture is a little odd, if you ask me. Yeah. 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 I'm with you, Cody. No, no, guys, you guys are doing it all wrong. We took pizza from the Italians and we <laughs> colonized it, it to make it actually good. We took orange chicken from the Chinese and then we colonized it to make it actually good. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even confident orange chicken is Chinese. Anyway, and now what we've done is when you go to the boba place, do not get something authentic. Do not get something that replicates the actual experience of ordering boba. Get those little candy balls in it that explode into peach juice. That's how you enjoy a truly colonized American food experience. See, the problem with boba, though, is it's like the, the texture of boba is like, it's like tofu. Tofu lives in that same horrible... Except boba is, is, is it's definitely got more... You know, it's firmer than tofu, but at the same time, it's it's not appealing for the exact same reason that tofu is not appealing to me. I don't know, man. I love tofu. Yeah. Are you are you a vegan, Cody? You put off that vibe <laughs> sometimes for me. I was at one point, but not anymore. What made you give give it up? I have always said I'm two documentaries away from becoming a vegan. Uh, I don't even think it was necessarily that something made me give it up. It's just. I hang out with Tongans a lot, and I've literally known one Tongan that's vegan. And so if it's like, if you're going to hang out and eat food with them, good luck kind of thing. Yeah. That's good reasoning right there. The, the main thing that turned Cody back into a non-vegan is Rancheritos. <laughs> I was eating Rancheritos when I was vegan, too. You just get one of those breakfast burritos that just <laughs> has, like, pico de gallo in it and just don't get cheese. So a pico Man. de gallo burrito. No, it's got the other stuff in it too. Yeah, um, we got some whack hosts on this Indian food podcast. Well, Ranch you know, burritos, Indian food. When's the last time you went to a local Indian food restaurant in your area? I mean, I think we're actually representing, we're representing local Indian food fairly well. I feel personally. There's literally one. If I get on the road, like right there, I drive down and I go. Uh, I guess that's south on Harrison Boulevard. I end up at Sitara, India on 36th and Harrison. It's great Indian food. Mm. Yeah, I like Indian food. I, I just, uh, 
I don't know. Sriracha Indian? No, I think it's Thai. I'm not winning here. I'm batting a I, thousand. <laughs> today. Uh, like, Indian food is good, but it... it um, how, how do I, I... I really like it. Like, it's sauce-based, and each sauce is a different experience. You know? Nah, dude. It, I, I don't know what it is, but that... that that texture, bro, that they've got going on, you know, I guess they jam on it and that's fine, but I can't do that texture. <laughs> hey, you guys are just killing the Indian food podcast right now. Like, you, know you guys are absolutely killing it. You know what else is a different experience? Every stage of the caretakers everywhere at the end of time. Yeah, that's that's what we're really here to talk about. The <laughs> album of the week. What is it even called? It's by the, the artist is the caretaker. Yeah, yeah. 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 And everywhere at the end of time is the name. We promise we know more about it than just the title. Yeah, I, I never <laughs> know the name of things. But it's a it's um it was a a request by a listener, and I mean we love our listeners, and in listening to this particular project, I reminded myself once again what it means to be a music podcaster because. See, being a music podcaster is not easy, and listening to pieces of music like this, it's, it's, it's a, a reminder to yourself that you're dedicated to your craft, because this is a six-hour, six-and-a-half-hour um, piece. Um, I knew nothing about it going into it, so I just turned it on in bed, and I'm like, man, I better get this started early if I'm even going to get through this today, and I turned it on in bed, and... At first, I'm I'm getting a little bit irked by these repetitious samples. This is exactly how my experience went. So, like the the initial sample is pretty cool, but then it gets caught in a loop and it goes in a loop and it goes in a loop, and then I'm like, okay. And then the next one introduces itself and it's cool, and then it gets caught in a loop and then a loop, and then I'm, I'm like, okay, either this is just like a massive 1920s sample pack that somebody released, and for some reason it's popular. Or there's something more to this. And it was at that moment that I read the YouTube description that the album's supposed to, it's like supposed to be a big allegory on what? Alzheimer's? Dementia. But Dementia. Yeah. Losing memory. And uh, so then I proceeded forward bravely and it started jamming. You know, 30, 40 minutes in, there were some actually pretty cool moments and things. And um, yeah. As time went on, it slowly became, I dare say, more ambient than a prurient album. It was essentially whistles in a hallway for hours on end. And um, I did persevere. I can say that much. Impressive. Truly impressive. I am going to come clean and say I didn't quite finish. Ugh. Which I hate because I'm on... I'm on freaking record saying if you don't listen to it twice, you don't have a valid opinion. Well, a strong valid opinion. And I didn't even finish this one. But I made it about four and a half hours in. I can't lie. This one does become very long. Very long. Oh, my gosh. But I, I do have more to say on it, but I'd probably prefer to say it a little later. I'm curious to hear what Logan and Cody thought. Logan, are you? Oh, Logan's muted. I can just go. Um, 
He's eating so, Indian food. I'm envious. I'm very envious. But <laughs> I, uh, I'll also come clean and say that I didn't finish it. I just didn't have a like six and a half hour period at any point in the last week to devote to this. And so I did kind of go through. And when I found out that I was like, it's all samples, I didn't feel as guilty about not listening to the entire thing, especially once you kind of understand we what we know it's about dementia. And so it starts out as like ballroom music. And I think the conceptualization of it is really cool because a lot of the ballroom music's from like the 30s and 40s. And this album came out this year, I think, is like when the full version of it came out. Yeah, if you 2019, it, yeah. Finished people, in 2019. People with like dementia and everything probably would have been in like their 80s, 90s, and when they were younger, listening to stuff like this. And so I think it's like a timely kind of thing um, in a weird context. I think it's kind of timely. And I think it's interesting how it starts out as like just it, the music's crackling, it's looped, but by the end, it's just drone. There's nothing. It's just there's no memory yeah. left of it. And yeah. I think interesting and i like i said i didn't make it to the end but i did read um about how at the end it kind of like comes back and what's called in like the actual medical term is called terminal lucidity where it's like you have a brief reflection and like vivid memories for a little bit before you die and then in the album there's like a one minute of silence which is what it's supposed to be for like in real life too and so i think like Conceptually, it's really cool, but you really have to be devoted to listen to this entire thing. Like you, that's a quarter of a day you're carving out, and you know, not everybody assuming, unfortunately has that. That's assuming that you're awake 24 hours. You know, like that is that's half. True. That's like half your waking time. It, it is an immense amount of time. It's I, so so long, and <laughs> really, the reason I didn't finish was because it was finals. Like, if it wouldn't have been finals, I would have been able to do it. But, man, like, I don't know. I, to build on what Cody said, I think that it's a very cool idea. And I think that it's interesting. You know, you go and you read the comment sections about this thing, and some people are going ham in those comment sections. You're like, wow, okay. Like, people are like, if you're in a bad mental state, like, don't start this. Don't do this. Like, if you're depressed, do not watch this. And there's, like, tons of videos, like, this album broke me and all that stuff. I think it's an interesting idea. I think that it's definitely like cool that somebody's trying something that's not just music. It's more of like an experience. And I think that that's a cool element with it. The length is kind of atrocious, but I also think that it kind of has to run that long in order to do what it's trying to do. So, I don't know. It, it's got ups and downs for me. Yeah, no, I completely agree with what both of you guys are saying. Because, I mean, I made it through it. But was I intently listening to it? No, no. Well, the thing is, can anybody really intently listen to the whole thing? I guess yes. But no. Like, honestly, hardly anybody. You literally hit a point where it is just reverb. And it's just, like, white noise. I mean, it, it it literally loses all musical qualities, but then it does take on this um, form like what you're describing where it becomes an experience. And I think you're right, that it has to be as long as it is if it is to accomplish what it's out to do. Um, 
that said, you know, it's like, is this an experiment, an, an experience that you want to subject yourself to? But I, I think that it's cool that there's people that are taking the idea of, um, you know, music or, or a concept for a, for a musical project and like kind of transcending the music and more or less turning it into this actual um, simulation kind of like it, it, six hours, six and a half hours is such an expansive amount of time that if you actually dedicate that much time to consuming this thing, you will have an experience of one form of another. I mean, I guarantee that much. But it's not it's not going to drive you crazy or anything, I don't think. But, oh, it was treacherous at times. Yeah, I think, like, um, I did do a lot of research on it, though, just because I was interested in it. And I tried – it would have been really easy for me to just kind of spot click through this thing, like Cody said, hear that it was samples, and then just bag on it. And I was like, you know, that would be really easy to do, but I want to try to give it a fair chance. So I went and I, I read some wiki stuff about it, and I read about the caretaker a little bit. And so who I, I don't know anything. Like literally, I went in blind, and I all I got was the YouTube description, which they they do document each disc extensively, and the track names all have like meaning. I I mean I was able to pick up on what was supposed to be happening at the different acts and stuff, and the songs get to be. 30 and 40 minutes it's just like oh my goodness but yeah. um who is the caretaker do you do you know much about like who actually put this together so it's interesting and i if cody or logan know anything i'd be interested in hearing too i tried to do research on his personal life to see like if he had a very close loved one go through like dementia or i, I was trying to figure out what his obsession with memory is and honestly and this is where I'm totally open to Cody and Logan. I didn't find anything about him having a personal run-in with dementia. No, I know? mean, it kind of looks like it was mostly just he happened upon the topic and got interested in it. Yeah, and that's what I read too. I read that he's just very interested in memory degradation. That's what I saw. So That's a strange, that's a strange boy. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly wh why he did it. Like we actually, Aaron and I have had kind of pretty close experience with Alzheimer's dementia type stuff. And so I, I think that it is an interesting thing, especially when people are trying to help other people understand it. But I was just so confused on why he's devoted so much of his, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. But anyway, what I really read about was the album itself and the stages, which Cody kind of already hit on, like each stage kind of has like he tried to line it up to a lot of medical definition of dementia and like that the minute of silence that cody already hit i did go and spot listen the rest of it because i wanted to see how it finished but i don't know i just think that like what it's trying to do is help people who don't understand dementia try to get a little bit more of a grasp on it that's honestly the the root of what i read about there's no big deep reason that's what i was looking for and i just couldn't really find one yeah i'm surprised it has like 56 million views on youtube and is it only a youtube project is that the only place it's published bad yeah. 
No. Uh, Caretaker's been doing stuff since the 90s as well. He's always been really big in underground ambient, basically, since he came up. Um, you, a part of why this one got so big, though, I'm sure, did you guys hear about the TikTok challenge with this album? That's a real oh, thing. That's oh, how I yeah. found that video that Absolutely. I posted in the chat. That's a real thing. <clears throat> TikTok got on this, which, oh, man. <laughs> Wait, what's the TikTok challenge with it? Basically, it's just react videos of you listening to it in the on TikTok. As and of course, basically. it just gets over. That's what was making me mad about the 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 YouTube comments section is it was just like, wow, a bunch of people like over exaggerating in the comments that probably haven't even listened to the whole thing. Yeah. No, I I tried to listen to it. Like again, there was some guy that made like a thirty minute video called "This Album Broke Me." And I tried to go and I, I watched quite a bit of it, most of it. Well, I don't know if I want to say most. He broke in 30 minutes, man. The guy's got a ways to go. No, 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 no. It was 30 minutes of him explaining why the, the album broke him. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. And, no, and, and Well, there's something else I wanted to bring up with Cody's point, which about, about it being like 30s music or whatever. It, was like, it starts with kind of like swing samples. And um, I, I couldn't help but think, Right from the beginning, actually, one of my first thoughts is I was like, uh, not my first thought, probably about 20 minutes in when I started to understand what was happening a little bit. I was like, this, you can only really appreciate this as a, as a, like a dissection of um, dementia looking at right now, because uh, like Cody said, people that are going through that right now, that's more the kind of music that they're going to relate to. But that won't be even true, like in another twenty years. So, it was kind of interesting. Like it's going to date itself very quickly, is what true. I true. That's true, but it is just the whole concept. Technically, you know, in like eighty years, they're going to be making this exact same album, but with hundred gecks. That's. <laughs> I, just, I hope it never you gets can't joke about that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's that's illegal. Okay, no, but um. Interesting about the ballroom music stuff, though, is the caretaker. Um, one of his big influences was The Shining, actually, the ballroom in The Shining. So that was kind of cool. I also thought that when I was listening to it. Yeah. And okay, here's another weird thing. This is very weird. I'm actually curious to see what you guys think. I was reading about uh, some like quotes from him about the project, and he said himself. And you can go look it up. This is a quote. He said himself he wanted the album to also be a kind of audio black comedy. That's what he said. So I was like, interesting. Like, I guess if you try yeah, to... Yeah, I, I saw that same quote, and I think that's an interesting take on it. It's The vibe that I get from his statement on that is not so much that he wants it to be viewed as humorous but more in the way that black comedy, the the point behind black comedy is to start discussions about these things that are taboo and are too morbid to talk about um, and be able to handle them. So I think his statement on black comedy is not so much, hey, you should look at everywhere at the end of the time like it's a hilarious album, uh, <laughs> but instead look at it like it's reformatting things and putting them in a context like, is it necessarily socially acceptable to make an album about dementia? Like, can you claim to have written an album that 
encapsulates those experiences, shares them with other people, and stays faithful to the very painful experiences that people have with it. And so I, I don't think the black comedy, it's like, I'm reformatting this in a way that may not come across as appropriate, but I'm doing it to help us all start having a discussion about it and understand each other. I agree with that. I like that description. Yeah, the irony, again, the irony is that I just, I mean, I guess if it's a challenge, then people tend to accept challenges, but I'm doubting very many people have powered through that album and it's, or the six, whatever stages collectively. Dude, I, I don't know. Zoomers eat Tide Pods for the meme. Listening to a six hour album is nothing. <laughs> I don't know, bro. I don't know. I get the feeling a lot of people like start it because that's what I was trying to say with it kind of transcending the music and actually converting itself into like an experience. But the only way you can have the experience is if you dedicate the time. That's that's like inherently what it demands. Yeah, that is that is the thing. And that it, even breaking it up into too many pieces, like doing it during finals week was just really bad for me because the first block that I listened to, I went for about two and a half, almost three hours on my first block. And by the end of that, I kind of was like, dang, like I am kind of feeling it. Like I'm starting to actually kind of feel what it's trying to make me feel, I think. And then my other blocks were more just like in between here and there. And it's just like, and it just didn't really work. Yeah, no, so you kind of have to do it all. Four or five and most of six, it is literally, it's like, uh, it's a freaking tunnel. It's just, you're all, you're, it's white noise. And it's not even like, I mean, I, Prurient, that album we did, the Frozen Niagara, was it, isn't that what it was called? Pro yeah. Frozen Niagara Falls? Yep. Um, yeah. It, it attempts to, you know, it, it, it attempts to, keep your interest in in ways and it definitely has moments that are more aggressive and not and not saying that this doesn't but it essentially loses all uh tangible musical qualities and just becomes background and, and definitely it's like something you put in the background that kind of does give you a little bit of anxiety and that's what it's supposed to do and that's why he did it the way he did it like again i think that the caretaker himself did a pretty great job with it like yeah you know, i think he did it well it's just whether or not you want to do it <laughs> you know so so logan going back to your point there do you do you think that this is an appropriate project do you think the execution was good what do you think did you actually make it through it well, so my, my story with it is a little convoluted. I will let you guys decide whether I technically listen to the album or not. So this week, I got around to about a third of it. But I actually discovered this project about right when it came out uh, in near the end of 2019. And I listened to it then uh, just because I had heard of The Caretaker before and I've always kind of been interested in his type of music. Um, and so finding out, coming back to it, and then you Google uh, the caretaker everywhere at the end of time to figure out it's become a freaking TikTok challenge <laughs> that uh, Zoomers everywhere are listening to it. And that there are like 6 million videos out there that are 30 minutes long of like, why this album will give you depression. That, that was a bit of a shock because, <laughs> oh my I mean, 
I'm going to get on my extremely pretentious uh, soapbox here and just say, I wait, listen wait, wait. to music. What's up? Just before you get on, because I'm excited for you to get on this soapbox, but are you yeah. standing before the Zoomers? Is this is this one of those moments where you're you're losing faith in the Zoomers? Uh, I know. And part of the reason I don't really think that this is a knock against the generation. I mean, like listening to a six and a half hour album for a TikTok challenge and filming yourself react to it, I think is not any less stupid or even necessarily better than things the Zoomers have done in the past. A, it's not eating Tide Pods, you know, but on the other hand, do I think it's a fantastic use of everybody's time at age, say 15? Not really. Like, I don't really know if you're even going to get the album or if you're just going to be kind of joining in on that. But the reason I also want to go soft on it is because the caretaker himself said he thinks it's really cool that people are taking it as a challenge because he really just wants to get his message out there. And honestly, if the artist is okay with it, then we don't have a black dresses like situation where everybody's trying to cancel and ruin each other's lives. And as long as we can avoid that, frankly, I'm happy. Yeah, fair enough. But th that does go back to, and uh, you'll hate the point, but the, the late singer and bassist of Pink Floyd, Roger Waters, he, he puts a ton into his projects and he believes that his music literally is is affecting the minds of everybody. And to the point where he's been known to like spit on fans at his concert because the fans aren't taking his work seriously. And so like, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, do you think that there is really, like what percentage of correlation do you think there is between the caretaker's intention and the TikToker's consumption of this project? I mean, uh let me ask you this, Aaron. How deep of a reading do you really expect a 15-year-old to get on an ambient album? Well, well I'm just like, saying, they, no, if that, they're like going into it. Aaron's point. That plays to Aaron's point because why are 15-year-olds challenging each other to do it in the first place? Just because, I think, literally because it's six and a half hours of, and so they think it's fun. Yeah. Well, well, but that's going to be a really emotionally effective experience for them, right? So I don't expect all of them to break down in tears at the realization that there's a serious chance that all their memories will go away someday. But I think that if I were the caretaker and, and his official position has also been, I'm just happy people are interfacing and having emotional experiences with this album. Like, it doesn't have to be more than that. I watched and consumed a lot of, quote, deep things when I was younger that I didn't realize anything about back then. Breaking Bad. Yeah. I watched that when I was 14 years old. I'll have to go and read his statements because I guess that's my, my, my question is in the caretaker. I wonder if the, what I'm, what I'm really asking is how attached do you think the caretaker is with the people that are actually listening? Does he understand that most of them are probably having a fairly passive experience or does he believe, wow, so many people are attaching with my message. You know what I mean? I mean, I think this is the right amount of level to take your music seriously at. Like the Roger Waters spitting on fans because they're not really getting it. I don't really vibe with that. I, I, know, I, I don't vibe with I, that. I don't either, for the record. But nor do I necessarily vibe with the 100 Gex approach of our music means nothing. We just make what we feel like. Um, not that I dislike 100 Gex for that. I'm just saying that the caretaker went into this with a message, went into this with a purpose. He built around that purpose. It seems to be connecting with a lot of different people on a lot of different levels, 
you know, whether you're a 15 year old who is suffering the consequences of listening to anything for six hours, much less distorted ballroom <laughs> music versus, you know, like that's just naturally going to have an effect on you. So when I get on my pretentious soapbox here is I'm going to say, I listen to this type of music all the time. I don't necessarily listen to six and a half hour versions of it and it's not ballroom, but I consider myself to be an avid enjoyer, well, maybe a tourist explorer, of ambient and hauntological, quote, experience music. So part of it is reading a little bit into me like, oh, this is Babby's first amb ambient album. This is Babby f Babby's first It's Not a Top 40 album style song. But, you know, you take releases like No Input Mixing Board or Japanese Train Vibrations or even Prurian's Garden of the Disembodied Paratroopers or something like that. These are all albums that are also catered around giving you experiences and feelings that aren't tied to structured songs. And so on one hand, I feel very pretentious and gatekeeper-y about it because everybody's like, oh, this is the greatest ambient of all time. It's like, you haven't listened to anything else in this genre. Maybe once you do, we can all acknowledge that this is maybe one of the greatest experience pieces of all time. But people who are claiming that right now have no backup for it. But on the other hand... Yeah, they do. They have backups. To, they got followers on TikTok. Well, okay, I guess. But That's backup. I also, I also don't mind if this is people's introduction to experience type music, noise, ambient, all of that. Because it, it's truly one of the last remaining genres where there's still a lot of room to innovate. And there's still a lot mm -hmm. of room to explore in ways that the four chord pop song is just not going to get you. And so, you know, you see 50, 56 million views on YouTube. Let's assume half of those are TikTokers, right? If that gets 100,000 teenagers into noise and ambient music, I consider this an absolute net gain. Yeah, that's fair. That's a pretty good take on it. Uh, the other thing with this is I don't really have any experience with like dementia in my life. So I will say that I find the internet trajectory of this album far more interesting than what it's actually about. Not saying that it's not, you know, that it doesn't do its job very effectively. I'm just saying that I'm more interested in the phenomenon of what causes people to make videos about albums that break them. You yeah. know, like, what does that mean exactly? And, I mean, you watch some of these videos and part of it is that they're very hard to criticize because they're clearly talking from a very personal place. But oh my sometimes, gosh, sometimes some of these videos are everything that I hate about music journalism. Just the absolute <laughs> ignorance towards ambient music the absolute relying on uh, it will mess you up don't watch it if you're depressed it's like a lot of us just aren't affected by music that deeply period like at all mm -hmm. uh but yeah, no i feel like i feel like the the general vibe i was getting from reading comments and watching videos is it was kind of like i had this experience and you didn't and so now I'm going to make yeah. it sound like massive. And I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah and, and it's like, way, it's an album I'm, of slow down ballroom music. Like, what do you really want? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
for the record, the, so, the, the second the second movement I actually thought was pretty cool. Just strictly speaking, from a like a digital effects processing perspective, like a producer, like yeah, they were pretty absolutely. cool delays and reverbs that, that were being used. Yeah, no, Leland Kirby is an absolute master of post processing these types of samples, um, and you can hear it because nowadays every hip hop producer is throwing that vinyl sound effect on there. Every hip hop producer is like, oh, what if we made it warble a little bit so it sounded more vintagey? And then you hear something, and again, not to diminish hip hop producers, but like this is Leland Kirby's passion is manipulating these samples and only manipulating these samples. Um, and so to hear his take on how he does effects processing on that, I really think it's at a whole nother level from a technical standpoint. Yeah. I would be interested to try this because I will be honest without trying to minimize it and just oversimplify it. I mean, things like native instruments, ROM and stuff could do a lot of this. So I, I mean, I wonder what his process is. I would like to see what he does. Yeah. But you know, he's in there in his home studio with his $6,000 analog reverb tweaking the knobs back and forth. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have my whole thing on producing and mixing too. There are people like CLA who refuse to use anything in the box. And there are people who produce entirely in the box, like say close to what Skrillex does now. I don't know too much about his process and they get great results too. Mm -hmm. So, but I think, I think the passion that drives you to drop $6,000 on a reverb box and tweak it all day, just so you can make an effective album about dementia is that type of energy that we need in the world. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I, I, think that this project is very interesting one i'm not going to pretend like i'm an expert with it but i think that it is interesting at the very least yeah and i would say if you like this experience please go listen to more ambient there is so much good stuff out there and if you weren't that affected by the caretaker but you at least find them interesting i guarantee there's an ambient al album out there that will hit you in some of these ways you know it's a deep genre all I ask is that you please don't invade this space and instantly declare your one listen as the best of all time. Fair enough. I don't even think I finished explaining. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, okay. So I haven't listened to the whole thing in fairness, but I did listen to most of it back in 2019 and I gave it another spot listen there. So eh, listeners, you can decide if I even have a valid opinion or not. <laughs> I think you probably have most experience with ambience out of any of us here. I mean, I'm, I'm a genre tourist at best, but I mean, it's kind of cool to just sit down with an album like No Input Mixing Board and just think like, man, this guy really made this using only the feedback on a mixer with no inputs. You know, there's lots of cool experiences to have out there. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I... It's interesting. I don't know. I I did think that this was at least something somewhat new for me. So, you know, I, I overall think it was a good experience, but I just was a little put off by the internet side of it. That was just me, though. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that, uh, the instant it's like this album broke me. It's like, dude. <laughs> You're overselling it. Yeah. I think. I think. I mean, maybe this guy really did have a deeply personal experience with it, but 
as soon as it's commodified and put into a YouTube thumbnail, I feel like it loses its value. Yeah. Yeah, no. I My thing is is like I guess I guess it broke you because you realized that dementia is a thing. I guess is the point. But my thing is is like man, if one piece of 6-hour audio can break your life. <laughs> I don't know. Well, this is a debate topic now. Let's get a definition for what breaking you means. Like, oh, I suddenly realized something about the world and had a panic attack about it. It's like, you know, that's every that's every five hours in 2020. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's true. I mean, I guess to any degree, when you learn something, it could have a big impact on you, but... I feel like you spend an entire lifetime like learning how to deal with things and so that as you keep progressing like you know when you start actually facing things like dementia in your life like you have a lifetime of experience of dealing with hard things so I don't know I, I just get a little annoyed when it's just like YouTube clickbait dementia is gonna ruin my life and I'm just like uh I mean, scaremongering. Um, it, it just feels, yeah, it just, it feels kind of like it's minimizing dementia a little bit. Does anybody here know about Rocco's Basilisk? Rocco's what? Rocco's Basilisk, like from Harry Potter? No, I, I don't. Okay. All right. That's, don't look it up because all the videos are a waste of time. But essentially, it's another one of those. As soon as you realize this, you'll want to kill yourself type of theories and topics. And it's, it, uh, okay. I won't it's absolutely <laughs> milk to drive. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, can't give up. We can't have anything these days. Go listen <laughs> to right. more ambient albums. Yeah, no, go and give, I, I agree. And I, I like your point that it's something that's underexplored and something that probably will be growing in the future, the near future. I think that's a, a valid and interesting perspective on it. But no, it's definitely an interesting experience. I, I'm not in any way saying don't have it. Like, go and check it out. And um, if you do find it intriguing, like Logan's saying, there are people out there doing a, quite a bit with it. Um, but we got to move forward. I, I'm dying to hear Cody's on music philosophy. I want to hear what truth bombs he's got for us. I don't know so much about truth bombs, but I am curious as a philosophical discussion where we just looked at everywhere at the end of time. We've seen that it's made its way into some form of popularity, but it's very niche. And I think coming from, and I'll get to the question, but someone who watches a lot of movies, um, there's a Czech, I think he's Czech, director named Belatar, and his movies are usually not too long, but he's got one that came out in the 90s called Satan Tango, and it's seven and a half hours long, and it's like the guy who just put out the 25th anniversary Blu-ray of it, I run into him on Reddit all the time. Like, he's just a normal guy. And so obviously it's not like some huge group putting it out, but it's like gaining popularity. And so I'm, I guess the question is, with something as niche and intentionally niche, let's be honest, as yeah. this is it ever possible or do we think it's possible for it to gain this kind of popularity whereas like this gain popularity on tiktok of all places is 
that's something that we think is more possible in this day and age where everything's so connected? I'm going to say that I, I actually, I do think we're going to see more and more obscure things gaining place in more popular spheres just because, so my whole theory about like more elderly people liking or seek constantly seeking out more experimental flavors in food. I think the same thing is going to apply to us in entertainment. Like, you know, I don't know. It, it's kind of a figure of speech, but to say that you have simple taste buds, like you like sugars and, you know, just simple things that you liked when you were a kid. Um, I, I think as a society we we are starting to just clock through that really quickly and we're going to just find some of these more obscure flavors gaining popularity just out of sh the, the, the sheer like uh, thirst for something different. But that, that being said, at the same time, like right now we have the Marvel, we've, we've talked about it a few times in you and film. Uh, yeah. Like Marvel is still has an immense amount of popularity. So maybe we're not completely past some of those more simple taste bud, like, entertainment features but I, I definitely think in going forward we're going to continue to see things um spring out but my i guess where I, what i'd append to the question is uh the reason that this is popular i think is largely to do with tiktok and it's because it's a novelty item can things like this be popular outside of just the sheer novelty factor yeah i think that's a better wording for my question Here's what I'll okay. My take on this question, I think it's a very interesting question, is it's it's the avocado example, okay, for my life. My life when I was young, I despised avocado, like literally hated it. I thought it was disgusting. I wanted nothing to do with it. <clears throat> okay, I'm like 23 now, still very young, but I love avocados now. Why? What happened? Well, here's what happened. I went so long hating avocado, or at least thinking I hated avocado, that I finally decided one day, oh, you know what? I'm going to try it again. I tried it, and I was kind of like, this doesn't really taste like anything else that I like. So this is interesting. And so I was interested in it. So then I started eating it more, and now I'm like obsessed with avocados. So I think that things like, you know, the caretakers everywhere at the end of time is going to be a thing that's never going to be explicitly universally popular. I don't think it ever will be. But I think that it will be a big, fat smash hit with those people that start to realize after time and experience that it's new to them. That, that's the way I think it'll always be. But that's just my personal opinion on it. Yeah, but I, I do think, like I what I was trying to get at, the, the sheer breadth and uh, expansive volume of entertainment to be consumed that there is out there. It's just like schooling, because like, so 30, 40 years ago, your degree ended, you know, how many semesters into my degree of whatever it is that I'm studying? As we learn more, there's more to catch you up. So your starting place is now way further ahead of what was the starting place before you and i think entertainment is gonna interesting know. interesting point i hear what you're saying but i think that this question is more about the people 
that are interacting with the media than it is the media itself. You got to remember that these are people that are growing up and developing over and over and over again, you know, in like an 80 year cycle. So like the whole concept of, oh, now they have access to popcorn material younger. That's not really true. I mean, you grew up on Power Rangers. You know what I'm saying? Like that is popcorn material just the same. I think that like the whole point is it's cyclical according to the length of a human life. And I think that the human, whoever it is, as they get older, will experience the media and they'll go through a similar thing. So then the question becomes retrospectively, and I'd be curious, Logan or Cody's view on this. Do you think in the past there have been as extreme tangential out there acts like like the care, the caregiver? Is that what it is? Caretaker. Caretaker. Like, let's take the 70s or 60s. Are there caretaker-like acts that existed in those decades as well? Or is this new? I don't know of any that existed, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone told me that there was something at that point. It may not have been an ambient album, but I think that there was definitely stuff like it. I mean... Even in like literature, you know, like people started writing really crazy, weird off the wall stuff. You know, I mean, definitely things have been invented. I'm not saying things won't be invented, but what I'm saying is those offshoots are all. Yeah, but so, so to imply that it's just completely cyclical, and I'm just trying to get deep down into that thought because it's interesting to me, but to say that entertainment is nothing but a cycle. It's not, no, no, no. It's not entertainment that's the cycle. It's our lives are a cycle. And so we, we, we discover things in a cyclical way as human beings, because we all just keep, we start young and we have those things that we love when we're young. And then as you get older, your taste changes. Yeah. So that would assume that that would mean that at any given time, since uh, humans have been consuming entertainment, that they're, well, well, and it was mature enough to, you know, exist that that there was an analogous, like a societal, uh, uh, in the arts, there was something that represented what we just listened to this week, and that has existed in previous decades. Well, it's, actually, I just thought of an album that kind of fits that bill. Um, it's called Plantasia. And it came out, I had to look it up because I couldn't remember the exact name of it, but it came out in 1976. And it's literally an album of like ambient electronic stuff for plants to listen to. And so like, I, I think it's <laughs> been there, whether or not we've known, because I, it's obviously a lot of this stuff, if it did exist prior to how easy it is to record something now, was probably just lost to time. Mm. But I, I think... It's, it's probably always been there. And I mean, the same thing kind of goes with movies. And it, it's weird to think with movies because there was a lot more, I don't know, popularity with longer movies back in like the 50s and everything. Um, when you think like something like Lawrence of Arabia, it's a four hour long movie, came out in 1962. And it was huge, like smash hit, one best picture, everything. Like you don't get that in 2020. Or, well, I mean, we didn't really get anything movie-wise in 2020, but you know what I mean. Yeah. No, I agree with Cody on that. We got freaky. We Friday did get 13. freaky. <laughs> we no, got no, freaky. Anything, Cody. 
I didn't see that. I saw Tenet. That's the only new movie I saw this year. Um, no, I just was Googling. Because here's the thing. I do think that the invention of the internet sped up the process of people being able to discover and create this offshoot taste thing. Because I get what you're saying, Aaron. But I did just like Google up like the oldest art house movies. And I'm seeing a whole bunch from like the 1910s, like 1916 and 1925. So, I mean, I think that it's existed. Oh, yeah. I, like, if you look back, like even from like the early, early days of film, like Intolerance uh, by D.W. Griffith, dude was a terrible person. Like you probably don't need to watch most of his movies. He was like a clan member and everything, but he was making like four hour long silent films in like 1915. Yep, and that or in like Germany in the twenties, like German expressionism in like Fritz Lang's Metropolis. That's a super long movie, and it's definitely become something that's very important to how movies have been made now for a hundred years. But it's experimental as all get out. If you watch it and you try to compare it to anything else that was coming out in the twenties, mm-hmm. yep. so that so actually this brings out exactly where i was going to go with uh basing a chag this week um so i'll kind of wrap that into this discussion because it fits right in and and what it is is what i was going to bring for chasing a bag is something that i'm surprised we haven't talked about and that is maybe the best move for chasing a bag is is to not try and break into this industry Uh, because like looking at it, especially right now, and I, I, I feel like Logan might have things to say to me uh, about this, but um, the future of the entertainment industry is very suspect at the moment. And I, so relating it to our previous discussion, like the idea that we've been progressing and, and that the internet sped this up, maybe that's an idea that's in a lot of us younger people's minds. That's we, we think it's, m- more extreme of a reality than it actually is because like you're saying if you look back in the past people have had off the wall ideas for a long time and their their minds maybe weren't as different as our minds are though availability is without question you know we 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 have superior availability of ideas but um whether that means we're breaking that the bounds of human ideas further because of that or not i mean i guess this discussion is kind of implying that maybe maybe we're not and i don't think i disagree with that but um yeah the entertainment industry right now um like i guess it's 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 not music news but like what's been going on with warner brothers and hbo and i guess i look at the whole thing and i just i don't know i don't know what the entertainment industry is going to do including music but it seems like we're going to have to go under, we're going to have to revert back to how it was in previous decades in order for it to continue to thrive is kind of what I'm seeing. But I'm curious what you guys think. I think uh, first and foremost, I am incredibly saddened and enraged by freaking Warner Brothers announcement this last week, dude. <sighs> but I think to answer your Wait, question. Wait, what did they do? They announced it in 2020. 20- they announced that in 2021, they're going to release all films at the same time on digital release that they are going to be in theaters. And I think... What is, uh, what is the problem with that? 
it's I, don't want, a- I don't want theaters to die. I don't want theaters to die at all or minimize. Ah. Here, here's the thing. I personally think that the theater experience is still a big part of film. And uh, I just think that that is at least going to take a big blow to theaters. It's not going to kill them. They'll exist but- as like underground cultures forever but Logan, i think it relates though because like i've heard you say and i don't disagree that you feel that modern music streaming platforms basically that it doesn't work so again implying that there's some inevitable reform that's gonna have have to happen yeah i mean speaking to that so i think the picture that you paint aaron is really uh dystopian in a sense I mean, things are bad, particularly right now because of the pandemic. We lost, what, 170,000 jobs in the live music industry this year, and that number is just going to keep going up and up. So that is really unfortunate. But the reason I advocate for getting into at least music production right now or music writing, songwriting and all that is because I think the tools exist in a new way that they never have before. And tying into Cody's point, your ability to connect with like-minded people who would like your type of music is also at a level that it never is before. So say I'm here in my basement, I really like anime breakcore beats. You know, people next door, people around me, people down the street, they may say that they like my anime breakcore beats, but they are not anime breakcore fans. The real anime breakcore fans are a selection of random teenagers in Indonesia But thanks to the internet, I have the means by which to connect with those random teenagers in Indonesia. And they can become fans of my work. I can become fans of their work. And I agree. It's all this beautiful thing. But going back to kind of the issue with theater or whether it be traditional CD, vinyl releasing or whatever, what's the interface? And, and, you know, we're we're clearly making interesting decisions. My my current guess is that the internet's going to gradually move towards self-hosted content. So rather than I'm going to log on to a singular entity like Spotify and give Spotify money to listen to all these songs, I think uh, what's more likely to happen is people are going to curate their own music collections and we're going to have to seriously re-examine the model. I think Bandcamp represents the most viable future for all of us right now. I don't think it's totally there yet. I don't think it has the adoption or support, especially from Apple. Screw you, we can't buy and download Bandcamp songs from our iPhones. Um, But Bandcamp absolutely has the most promising future for individual artists and songwriters. I don't know how to help the live music community. I really wish I did. And even though I'm not sure how much I could affect things from my position. But, you know, we talk about we don't want to kill the theaters. We don't want to kill the vinyl releases. It's like, well, those died because there were things about those mediums that are not sustainable. And now we're in streaming and Spotify is asking its artists to release an album every three months. Like that's a thing that's remotely sustainable for anybody other than the top industry people. And so now there's something about this model that clearly isn't sustainable. I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think there are solutions ahead, but I, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I don't see a reason to necessarily preserve one format over the, another just the, because it has a different class of problems. The music philosophy question, which I really like, do, first and foremost, like, do you really think that we are broadening the expanse or do you think it's just more visible? 
Well, I think you underrate visibility in that equation. The fact that I can join a forum of Indonesian anime breakcore fans is what allows us to experiment in new ways. Part of the reason I think the caretaker blew up is because there is something instantly gimmicky about it. It's six it's a six hour long album consisting mostly of ballroom music. And the fact that something like that will hook a large audience. And when it hooks its interior audience, it starts to get noticed by the exterior. That exterior happened to be TikTok kids. That's the way that it goes. What the internet has done is sped up this process. I'm going mm. to stay with Jake and say, I think it's mostly cyclical. I'm also going to side with you, Aaron, on saying it's an Isaac Newton argument. We're standing on the shoulders of giants and building things based on our knowledge of the past. But I'm also going to say that there's been a serious accelerationism to it provided by the internet and yeah. our ability to connect with people in ways that I could have never found that group of Indonesian kids if this was 1985. Hmm. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just going to be interesting. So my basing a Chag is, at least for right now, probably at least stay away from the live scene because it does seem like it's going to be it's, – it's, its hand is being forced. It's going to reform. It's going to have to. And I think... I hope it comes back. I think streaming is just around the corner. I think we're all going to revert back to buying CDs in some form. But... I think, I think Minecraft concerts were fun until I thought about all my audio engineering friends who are unemployed right now. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's something. All right, uh, Logan, you got some music news, and then we'll do uh, bops. I do have some music news. So I finally found the source that is perfect for our music news, and that's Vice Music. Yeah. Because it's perfect at reporting on things that make me just mad enough that I want to talk about them. <laughs> All right, here we go. First article. Actually, you know what? I'm skipping this one because I refuse to talk about TikTok anymore this evening. Let's see. How about 100 right. decks? No, 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 no. This one. Gigs. Mm, that's not true. <laughs> this article is called Meet the 17-Year-Old Leaking Music from Some of the World's Biggest Rappers. So this article was interesting because it exposed something that I've suspected for a long time but never seen with my own eyes, that there are, in fact, music-leaking communities out there on the internet. This guy says there are subreddits and Discord servers where somebody will get an inside source on a song or hack the emails of famous artists uh, intercept those emails and their files, send them to themselves, and then sell them on Discord and Reddit. So he says, uh, let's see, a future song goes for about $600. However, a Playboy Cardi song unreleased will go for about $2,000. So I wanted to get uh, everybody's finger on the pulse here and ask you, uh, should we be supporting these kids? Is it a good thing to be leaking music? Is it an inevitable side effect of being in the music industry in general? I don't think it's an inevitable side effect. I think it unfortunately comes with popularity and how much emphasis we place on certain artists releasing stuff. Like Playboy Cardi especially, like you bring up his name, like the amount of times I've seen people talking about how he needs to release that new record, I think it's called Whole Lot of Red, is absurd. He does though. And like I agree, like it'd be nice if it came out, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's cool to I don't know, just leak that. But it I don't know, <laughs> it's hard. Uh, it is yeah. hard. 
And as, especially because Aaron has told me he loves those unreleased demo style versions of songs. And I've liked demos too, frequently a lot more than the actual song. Yeah, actually, Cody, did you get in on that? Like, it was uh, uh, years ago when we Radiohead. Do you know about this? The Radiohead leak? Cody got a hold mm -hmm. of mini did from the OK Computer and, and Kid editing sessions. And, like, he had, he actually stole the physical and he he wrote the band and he was like it's gonna be k a disc and the band just they had a digital version they just threw it up on band camp for one week and they're like everything goes to charity we don't negotiate with terrorists i don't remember hearing about that but that's a tom york reaction hours of unreleased stuff i i definitely have it i should pass it along to you if you're interested but that that was an example honestly I was grateful that kid kind of did that. Then I got 21 hours of demo material of Radiohead, which I love. But I'm not saying that that was uh, a good form. I'm just saying that this is definitely what I think. Their clear plan of, of how to an artist's music in its entirety after they've passed away. Because, like, I want to hear it. And they, there are, a lot of artists are just so hard on themselves that they don't, they don't, Relief, and I'm not I'm not talking about new releases. Like I can wait for for release, but stuff that potentially never get released because it's like part of like their will. Uh, I wish that there was a way to guarantee that stuff's released. Personally, yeah. I mean, how do you how do you feel about them vocaloiding Lil Peep and Juice World now? Like I'm not even there. Those guys are practically not even writing their own songs anymore. There's no way after all the music they've released. Postmortem. No, that's true. That's actually sketchy. No way do I want you to use my name and my to say, and I wouldn't have done. But like, if they do it, I hear it. Hey, <laughs> Granted, I am a big fan of Mac Miller's circles. Is complete hypocrisy. <laughs> but. Um, I think that if anything is released post-mortem, it should be as it is. I, I, I do get a little annoyed with the, like, I don't know, man. It's just like, if they're not alive anymore, it just doesn't quite feel right to me. But I do love circles, so shoot me. <laughs> Consider yourself shot. <laughs> no, it's the same way. Like, and part of it is, what if you really feel like all those unreleased songs tarnish your legacy? You know, I, you can yeah. say, oh, we should have a plan to release everything. But at the same time, if I'm an artist and people are connecting with the way that I've put out my art, why why should the label have full control to just re release everything ever threw away? Yeah. I'm kind of uh, worried my public perception it, is then. You're right. It's valid. But dang it. Like, there's, there's certain artists that I really like. For example, honestly, if you listen through that 21-hour mini-disc leak of the Radiohead stuff, they have pooled... There was demos that they were recording at the time of OK Computer that became songs not until Moonshaped Pool. Like, they have been pooling from these demos throughout their entire career. And um, I, I have to think that a lot of the more prolific artists I listen to have material like that. 
and as a fan, not as a scary fan, but like just as a fan, I, I honestly would like to hear more of their process, but it, it like, you're right. It, it has to be released like in a very careful way, like very much. This is a, a comprehensive view of their creative process or a documentary or something like that. But, uh, but anyway, in the in the subject matter of leaking, that's the only kind of leaking I'm interested in. But hmm. I think Tell leaking, me what you think. I think leaking. Uh, I feel like an artist. I don't like it when somebody leaks behind the artist's back. But there's like a lot of the artists I listen to, they leak their own stuff. <laughs> Like yeah, Skrillex, talking about. like Skrillex, dude, his leaked material is like almost as long in runtime as his released material. And, <laughs> and I know that he let it leak. Like it's not accidental. So I don't know. I don't know if you call it leaked anymore, but I just think like you say officially released, this is what I want on my record discography is different than their other stuff. And I think that people should just let it be that way. Yeah. Canon and non-canon. Like, yeah. I, I think that's acceptable, but anyway, no, it's interesting. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting that there's still like leaks happening. I, I feel like leaking is kind of, should be a dead. Well, I guess with hacking, whatever but it, it it definitely feels like leaking is not an older idea i don't know like the the way that leaks happen now they're not very fun they they feel more hostile so really for what that's i like worth. i yeah. like it when they put it to like an old school gif and then they slowed plus reverb and then they like throw a drake acapella in there just because i don't know those that's are the creative kind of, leaking those are the kind of videos that you look at and you're just like this is just like something I should not be consuming. <laughs> Dude, I love it. You know what? I you know I don't even care. All right, I love recontextualization of things. Now, pure leaking. I mean, you can have mixed feelings on that. On my end, I actually don't particularly care, uh, despite what I may have said. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when they when they like take a leak and then they artificially extend it and then they throw their own visuals on there and like feature rappers other verses. I don't know, that's kind of like a cool and creative way to show some unreleased music while putting a new context on it. Yeah, you know, just take the unreleased track and get like a little anime, what do they call those little anime videos? Just create one of those for the unreleased track, get a, get a couple mil views. AMVs, isn't it? Make that money. <laughs> From YouTube's completely broken advertising system. I don't know. I think people should just respect, going back one more time to my canon idea, like if it's released post-mortem, for example, like if it wasn't actively the artist that was alive and releasing it, I think that you should just consider it as a bonus. It's just a bonus. It, does, it shouldn't affect their reputation or whatever. I think if it's unreleased, they didn't release it, so you can't hold them to the same standard. But your access to it, I don't know. If you got it, just be grateful for it. That's kind of what I think. 
Yeah. <laughs> Discord and uh, Reddit places of black holes. <laughs> black holes of the internet. All evil occurs on Discord and Reddit. <laughs> All True. the evil in the world. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's do bops. Uh, Cody, what are you listening to this week? Oh man, uh, one of my favorite hardcore, I guess you could call them, bands of all time, Shelter, is uh, re-releasing their album When 20 Summers Pass for the 20th anniversary. And uh, they found an old track that they thought they had lost. Um, It just ended up being on like a hard drive somewhere and they just released it. And I really like it. So obviously I was super excited about the re-release. And then when I saw there was a new song, I was oh, even more excited. Uh, It's called Why Can't I Just Get Through to You. Uh, it's on Spotify and everything. So it's just an interesting song. I mean, they're a Hare Krishna band and the lyrics are all about like material possessions and how we view things in the world. So dude, there you go. I, had a, the- I had a bunch of run in with Hare Krishna uh, followers, if that's what you want to call them in New York, dude. I talk to them all the time. I love the Krishnas, man. They're fun. Yeah. And they cook really good food. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. So, yeah, like it, it, just not not just a, a very high level tangent, but like in in hardcore music, are you kind of associated with a group of people based on what you listen to, or is it acceptable to listen to a a broad array of different hardcore bands? I'd say it's acceptable to pretty much listen to whatever you want. But then what identifies you as a, a Krishna? They're specifically all Krishnas. Like, they're religious. Their lyrical content's all typically religious. The whole Krishna thing, it's like a, it's like a philosophy thing. It's, it's like a, Yeah, it's an offshoot of Hinduism is what it is. Yeah. And they've got, like, their own holy book and... Like the Festival of Colors that everybody goes to where you throw the chalk in the sky. Gotcha. That's that's a Hare Krishna thing. I see. So it's just a hardcore band that's associated closely with a religion. Yeah. A bunch of them got really into it in the 90s. There's actually quite a few Hare Krishna hardcore bands, but they're, it's termed Krishna core is what it is. So. <laughs> Whoa, I didn't Yeah, know they that. would have a name for it. <laughs> but yeah, that's my problem. I'm, I'm so glad. I love adding core to the random ends of all words and seeing somebody else do it in real life just gives me great joy. This happened before I was even around though. Like that first shelter record came out in 1990 uh, quest for certainty. And I think it's just so you don't have to say Hare Krishna hardcore band. Cause that's a lot more than saying Krishna core. <laughs> Makes sense. I love it. I just realized that we, uh, we broke a rule of Nitwick. Cody started there. Yep. Yeah, we screwed up. Oh, no. That's okay. Oh, that's Discord for you. I saw it happening. I saw it happening, and I didn't interject because, oh, again, like, Discord, I, like I said, I'm like a vampire. I won't ask for that to happen. All evil happens on Discord. That That's that's just how it goes. But what have you been listening to? Thanks. Okay. Um, uh, Witch House by Raccoon City Police Department. Um, yeah, good name. Raccoon City Police Department is a nice little screamo, and when I say screamo, I mean screaming emo, like actual screamo. 
Um, yeah, come on, kids. Get it right. Yeah, get it right. <laughs> um, screamo, post-hardcore-y, slightly proggish uh, band. They don't have very much music out, but they have this one little EP called Nightlife. And, um, man, I love it. I've been listening to it so much the last, uh, like, two weeks or so, two to three weeks. I love it. And, anyway, the song Witch House um, – Ah, it's just awesome. It goes through so much. Like I, they're kind of, when I say, when I said that they're kind of proggy, it's more like they just move. Like it just keeps moving. It doesn't have like corny Jordan Rudis keyboard crap in it. Hey, (laughs) sorry, Cody. I, I have history with dream theater. I just have big beef with Jordan Rudis. I get it. (laughs) but um it's just like really cool like this song goes through so many different like pieces and parts it's just really cool it's got like these really strong verses up front with just his vocals and then it has like a good guitar solo thing and then it has nice fat riff kind of towards the end and then it ends with this syncopated distortion thing over his screaming that's just really really cool so anyway it's just a really good album. It's not very long. It's like 20, 25 minutes or something, but I love it. So that's my bop this week. Nice. Screaming over syncopated rhythms describes actually mostly what I listen to, other than Drake. <laughs> there you go. So it, it describes um, what's left after you take out most of what you listen to. <laughs> Unironically. <laughs> There's, there was one article on Pitchfork that says what your Spotify 2020 rap says about you. And it's just two words. You're basic. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was uh, deeply offended. Um, for me this week, uh, Jack Johnson randomly put a song out just because of the turbulent times, I suppose. And it's the song is called The Captain is Drunk. And in classic Jack Johnson-like innocence, it's just kind of like a almost a children's story allegory, obviously of how he feels about everything that's going on right now. But, um, it's a good song. Beautiful. I love Jack Johnson. He's hard to hate. Yeah. On my end, uh, I'm going to get the kids into ambient music this week. It's a no input mixing board. Number one by Toshimaru Nakamura. Uh, it is not like ballroom. It is instead a wacky, zany electronic experience. And I highly recommend it for anybody who's looking to get not into ambient, but specifically Japanese live ambient. So you can come join me in the Cool Kids Club. Uh, highly recommend it. Give the whole album a spin so that way you cool can feel club. like you're cooler than your friends. $5, extra $5 on our Patreon to be in the Cool Kids Club with Logan. That's true. We only listen to music that I tell people I listen to, not Drake. Exclusive access to all of Logan's Animal Corner episodes and bonus live streams. It's definitely <laughs> You guys need to cancel another Nitwick episode so I can actually get around to recording another Animal Corner. <laughs> it's a dangerous podcast. <laughs> if you join Logan's Cool Kids Club, you also get to avoid... Uh, Anthony Fantano's club, right? They're n- you can't mix the two, and thank the heavens you can't mix the two, because Anthony Fantano's 
<laughs> Never mind. I'm just gonna stop. I've got a hot take on I'm Hill. I'm just gonna Anthony. stop here. I'm gonna go way too off the no, rails. I've I got a hot take. I'm not gonna take it, but I'm just gonna say that probably next episode I'm willing to explore it. That uh, Anthony Fantano <laughs> is a very poor interviewer. He's a very poor interviewer. Somebody's mad about Julian Casablancas. No, I'm not upset about anything in particular. I just I'll I'll explore it next time. But I, I think we gotta sign off. It's uh been real. Keep safe, keep hanging in there. Uh we're not dying, so you guys shouldn't either. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's that's daily motivation for you. That's, there you go, that's a real one. There's that daily dose of real real. We'll catch you next week though. Daddy y'all.